sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm really clear where we're going with what we're saying, and sometimes I'm not in terms of... Uh, but we're looking at Ephesians, and this week we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul is writing from prison to people probably in Ephesus, but maybe in other churches as well. It feels like I say the same thing every week. Do you notice that? Same thing. <laughs> Which is our battle to live and understand the kingdom of God and what it means for the kingdom of God. We, you know, in the old days we used to say every week, uh, there are these two kingdoms that always, uh, you know, the, the kingdom of God and and the world in which we live. And in the old days we used to pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's like rote because, of course, God is so sad about that because he said, I didn't mean it for recitation. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Amen. Phew, said my prayers. And many people have grown up with that kind of keeping God happy. And and it's been a it's been a big lie and there's been big tensions in the church about what you do in church and you know, church should be a place of reverence and church should be a place where children keep quiet and church should be a place where maybe you dress up properly and you come and and God is God is very important. And all of that is true except it's not true. And the reason I say that is because the image I have of God, and I've had it now for a long time, is, you know, imagine I'm a um, director of a multinational company. This is my fantasy. I am, um, and, and I ha- I'm very, very wealthy. And when I speak, things happen. And I have a big office, and I, and I have a... In, uh, you know, skyscraper in in, volu- in in Vancouver, and I'm I'm driven to work every day in a limo. And the doors are open for me, and you know I'm an important guy. And I can get things done because I know people. And when my children come to see me, and when I'm with my children, I don't expect them to be engaging with me as the CEO of a multinational company. If they actually engaged with me like that, I would go, man, I have so failed my children. If they have to dress up to see me and they aren't allowed to speak and all the rest, you know what I'm saying? That is part of my identity, but it is not the identity that I'm relating to them on. The identity that I'm relating to them on is, I'm your father. And you can come into my office anytime. In fact, you have special privilege. When the kids come in the front door, the receptionist says, your dad's there. As long as the office is open, you can go in. And they don't come in to see the CEO. They come in to see dad. And that's what it is about. When God sent Jesus into the world, he came into this world to say to his estranged children, dad wants to see you. And his estranged children, God, but he's God. I mean, we've grown up. He's out there and we're out here and he doesn't care. And Jesus came to say, that's a lie. You were created to be in relationship with the mightiest person in the universe, the creator God, and you're meant to be able to run into his office. Religion started putting guards on the doors who were ordained and said, this is now the holy of holies, nobody can come in. Now that was also for a reason. 
haven't got time to go into that, but religion has guards in the door saying only special people can go in. There are a lot of people who do ministry in the name of Jesus who want to be special and they're kind of guards. You can't talk to God like I can. You need me to host a conference so I can help you, you poor, poor people, to have a relationship with God like I can, which goes back way back to Moses on the mountain. Only Moses will talk. And in fact, the people wanted Moses to be the only one. Because people, some people like to have this reverence for God because it means they look spiritual, but they can do what they want anyway. Because they have a real negative view of God. And if God really was close to them, then he would cause all my life to be in turmoil. And so we have a ne- There's so many intertwining things that go on in us about God. But the bottom line is, He's got this big skyscraper with a a penthouse suite at the top, big office, beautiful view, and he says, you can come in any time. Paul says that in Ephesians. He says, we have access to the Father through Jesus. What does that mean? It means, you know, you fly on a plane now, what do you do? The first thing you do, where's your passport? Where's your ticket? And then you go through screening and x-ray. Who has access to the Father? Here's my passport and ticket, the blood of Jesus. I have said yes to him. You're going to go through x-ray. What are you doing x-ray? I want to see how effective the blood of Jesus is over your life. Everyone has access. Not everyone will get in. Why? If you don't appropriate it, you won't get in. So we're going to x-ray you. There's a lot of attitude and unforgiveness. You'll have to go to the waiting room and sort that out before you even come in. There's a lot of judgment. But I did everything for Jesus. And he said, yes, you did, but it was all for status and your heart is wrong. Go to the waiting room and sort it out. Come back when you dealt with it. Everything is free, but not everything is without responsibility. Everything is accessible. Everybody is invited. But not not anything goes. And that's why it's so important for us to learn who God is because the issues are not with God. They're with us. And all he is saying is appropriate what I've given. I've given you all you need to be able to run into my office. But you can only run into my office when you have a humility of your spirit and a reverence for the understanding of that this is grace, not a right. And when you run into my office under grace, you are welcome. If you try and force your way in, I've got angels that will knock you to pieces. I found you know, the most liberating thing about Christianity was that it actually called me on my stuff. And it didn't call me on my stuff in an accusing way. It just, all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All people are, and it lists all these things over time. And I could just agree with it. That, yeah, that's me. And the good news was, as it declared all these things that I was not, it also said, but God. And so everything that I couldn't do in my own strength, God said, I've ta- I will take care of it as you give it to me. So when we talk about surrender, it's just talking about stop trying to do life on your own terms. It will never work. I said a few weeks ago, I mean, you know, we have these elections. They've got elections now in, in England, and we have elections, and now we have the NDP and the Green Party negotiating. I mean, it all is so temporary. Because broken people can't provide stuff. 
for other broken people. The, the, the deepest root of, of, of problems is the human heart. Whether you're working for ISIS or whether you're working for anybody, at the bottom is the human heart. And when God came into the world in Jesus, he was not playing games or trying to start a church. He was coming to people who were lost and saying, this is the issue. Remember about a hundred years ago, people died of infections and then they discovered penicillin. What's the radical thing about penicillin? The way you dealt with infections was to try and keep, the, maybe try and keep something clean, but they had no idea about germs. They didn't know what germs were. I can't see germs, so they don't exist. Germs are in the air. You have to sanitize things. Why? We wash them. There was a degree of sanitation or cleanliness that was totally unknown to people a hundred years ago. And the reason why people died of infection was because these invisible things were feeding on the brokenness and the woundedness and causing death. They saw the result of the, you know, the pus and the, all the ugly stuff that came out of this, but they didn't see the germs. We don't see lots of things that, that are, are hostile. And we also don't see lots of things that are good. And Jesus came into the world and said, open your eyes. Let me expand your horizons. Everything is not as you think it is. And the reason penicillin was, ex- was, was effective was because it went into the bloodstream and it worked from the inside out. And when Jesus came into the world, he said, the issue with humanity is the, the infection is in the heart and you can't get it from the outside. No behavior will change it. No matter of trying, no matter of rules, no matter of regulations will change what is infected on the inside, which is a human heart that has got damaged. The only thing that will change it is a blood transfusion that has won on the cross. The only thing that will change the dilemma of the human heart is a blood transfusion that will flow and bring something new from somewhere else into a human heart that has been totally infected. And the human beings transfusing to human beings won't do it because you're just getting blood to blood on an earth level. And so what Paul is doing when he's writing to the Ephesians, he's saying to them, uh, this kingdom that I represent, this kingdom that is actually alive in me is most powerfully expressed as I am in prison and I'm facing my death. Because everyone else is saying, I'm trying to get a, a condo by the sea. And Paul had been down to the, 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 the different places. I'm trying to remember the name of the place. Caesarea. Beautiful spot by the sea. And Paul, Paul says, you know, I went there, but I declared Jesus, and then I, that was when my trouble started. But he said, my priorities are totally different. I have no desire to sit in a condo by the sea for the rest of my life. I actually want to share what has changed my life so completely. It's in here, I promise you. Now in Christ Jesus, this is what we talked about last week, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. I mean, if you lack peace, you have to think. You've got to think. How you think determines how you live. 
What you think determines how you live. What you think about God determines how you live. Nobody can think for you. He is our peace. Why is our peace? Because he's, when I am struggling with something as a kid, I need to remember that my father is also the guy with the penthouse suite at the top of a skyscraper with a good view and a lot of power. So when I'm struggling at street level, I said, you know who my dad is? And I'm wandering the streets, I've got no money, and I go, but I am the son of the guy in the skyscraper. And he said that he actually loves me and that he will never leave me. That's the story of the prodigal son. We have to get serious with what this actually means. Well, if your father is the CEO of the world in a skyscraper with a beautiful view, then why are you worried? Well, it's looking pretty grim right now. Yeah? But he's still the CEO in the skyscraper with a beautiful view. And he's still your dad. Have you talked to him? Because you have Wi-Fi. You, can talk, you don't have to go up there. He, talk, he talks to you. You have a little chip, not on your shoulder, but in you that you can talk to him. Dad, I'm struggling right now. I've got no money. And he says, well, I told you. He might say that, but he also says, trust me. Wait upon me. I want you to walk through the streets with nothing in your pockets, believing that you've got all the heaven's resources at your fingertips. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You know, wh what will, what will uh, accelerate our own Christian faith so much is just stopping listening to our own excuses. Just call ourselves on our stuff and say, stop it. Why don't you have peace right now? Because of this, because of this, because of this. Okay, why don't you actually just hand that over to God and why don't you actually have some peace? It's not that easy. Maybe it's not that difficult. It's hard if your peace is attached to your agenda. It's hard if your peace is attached to a relationship. It's hard if your peace, uh, your peace is attached to, a, to money. And every one of these I have protested and said, yes, but you don't understand. What if Jesus just says, peace is related to my presence with you? Well, I don't feel that very often. What if there's more for you? Why don't you go and, I mean, you want guitar lessons? What do you do? Who plays the guitar? Maybe I can get a lesson. Maybe I look around and say, who's got some peace? Because I don't have a lot. Why don't you go and talk to them? How do, you, how do you get peace? Why don't you get curious with the things that you lack and look for people who have a bit more than you and go and ask them how to get it? Instead of just justifying your own victim mentality about loss and poverty. Believe me, I know a lot about that. I'm tired of it. What if I can have joy? just because it's available. And patience and kindness and goodness and understanding. What if it's all available through God's Spirit without money? Because if it's dependent on money, most of the world can't access it. So what if everything God has from His kingdom to us on earth is available because of what Jesus has won on the cross? 
and it actually can be experienced and known on earth as in heaven now. The funeral I went to yesterday, there was no expectation of anything. So every cry of every heart that is represented here right now, God says, I am answering you right now. So all we have to do is how do we actually receive it? And because a lot of what he releases is unbelievable, we won't believe it. We'll try and make it more complicated. This is meant to be encouraging to you, by the way. Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the le- the less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Paul was under no illusion that he didn't deserve the position he ended up in. But the position he ended up in was more powerful because of the place he had come from. People knew his reputation. He was like an idiom man, if you remember him. And but God. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. The man in the skyscraper. You're his kids. Through Christ you have access. How's that access going? How are you exercising your access? There's nothing more infuriating than having somebody being released into something and they go around and say, oh, but I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Uh, I, I just don't do that. I'm not comfortable going up there. You kind of go, you poor orphan kid. I'll pick you up and carry you up there. Oh, but no, no, no. And this sort of insipid humility that actually is a lot of lies. Like if that's you, stop it. It's not it's not good it's not fun to watch and it's actually wrong. You are deeply loved and Jesus went to the cross for you, so for God's sake rise up and see receive it. I just don't feel like being sensitive right now. Like there's this whole big good thing for us to access. Let's go and access it. Not for ourselves, but so that we actually have power to be passionate people in a world that desperately needs some. He says there that the church together, by the way, he says together again. I always say this. You cannot do this on your own. If you do this on your own, you're a bad child. Naughty. Dysfunctional. What does he say? His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Not through an individual. So he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. See, the cool thing about Paul is he doesn't pretend nothing's happening in the real world of his physical stature. He says, I'm in prison. I'm actually suffering. But he says, I don't want you to look at me and say, well, look what happened to Paul. God's not looking after him, so I guess it doesn't really work. He's saying it doesn't work like that. How it works is that I am actually submitting to a suffering that I used to inflict on people There's a reason for my suffering because I'm actually declaring Jesus and people don't like me declaring Jesus because the Romans don't like another authority bigger than them. 
So it's politically incorrect, and for that I'm actually going to get killed and beheaded unfairly. But because of the treasure I contain, I realize that this is actually a very temporary thing anyway, this whole deal. And when I'm beheaded, I'm actually going to be released into the fullness of all that God has for me. And I'm going to declare that and live with boldness even though you can kill my flesh. So don't be discouraged by what you see because I'm not discouraged. I count it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. What's it like to live with authority and freedom in a world that tries to threaten you and you're not touched because it doesn't matter? What would it be like to live with freedom from fear? How many would like that? Or anxiety? Well, what the heck are you fearful about? Play with me here. I'm not getting angry. What are you fearful about? What are you anxious about? How's it working? Start asking the question, what, what am I... I, 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 I I don't know. Get tough with yourself on the things that cripple you and watch God release you. And I break off some of you, your love affair with the thing that's crippling you in the name of Jesus. There are a lot of people in our culture right now that love the labels that they wear because it protects them from responsibility. And I break it off you in the name of Jesus. I pray that you'll be so dissatisfied with your condition that you'll be fed up with it. And instead of actually saying, oh, but if I give this up, I won't get this, to hell with that. Does that make sense? It's not nice sense if you want to hold on to it. It's great sense if you want to be free. That doesn't mean to say there's not a lot of things between here and there that are, are difficult. And some you can get free on and some you can't and some you need medication for. I'm not saying those things aren't all valid in some place. But what goes on in your heart is what I'm talking about. Your attitude to it. Do you want to be somebody who is free and responsible? Or do you want to be somebody who's always just making excuses? Let me... So Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Listen to this. I pray that out of his glorious riches and his penthouse in the skyscraper... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that means so secure in the love of God for you that nothing can knock you. Of course it will affect you, but it won't take you out completely. That you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Again, I can't stress enough, together with other people. Together with other people. You may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's full. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to share with you as I close. Well, as I close means it's another 10 minutes. Um, but an image that I, I share quite often in counseling, and, I, and some of you have heard this. And w- this is uh, about 1880s. Uh, it's a shipwreck. What's a shipwreck? Uh, we'll get there eventually. A shipwreck is what? A, sh- a ship that has sunk into the water. Now you're going to watch this and not listen to me. Never mind. What I want to show you is this: the ship has gone into rough waters and then it's sunk under the water. 
Um, let me give you an illustration. God gave me, I could take you to the church in Oxford in 1979 or 80. I was struggling with something. I was just kind of getting discouraged. I don't know if you do. You know, I wish I could change. That'd be nice. Um, this is just showing, this is another seven minutes of the showing this shipwreck. What's, what's happened to it. And I was asking God, and, and there'd been, and there'd been a, uh, on the BBC, there'd been a, um, a news bulletin of these two uh, ships that had been, uh, were towed out to sea in the English Channel and sunk by the, uh, the uh, English uh, Air Force. They had bombed them, and these ships had gone down to the bottom of the sea. And, and I, I was talking to God about, you know, I'm struggling with this in my life and stuff. And, uh, and, he, and he, he gave me this picture. And it was the most unusual circumstance because I was part of a theological college and we were, we were in a service we had to be in and it was a high church Anglican service and there was nothing in me that wanted to be there. And they were swinging incense and I was sitting in this thing saying, I don't even want to be here and I'm discouraged about myself and what am I doing theology for? And he gave me this vision, this picture, totally unexpectedly. I've never forgotten it. And he took me in my mind with Jesus. We went to the cliffs of Dover and we looked out over the, the channel there and these two ships were being, being uh, pulled, in, pulled across by tugs to, and then the, the Air Force came and they bombed them and these ships sort of tilted up and they went down. And Jesus sort of was, sit, was standing next to me and said, so how long are you going to stand here and wait for those ships to come up to the top again? And I always remember saying, well, with due respect, I'm not. And if somebody came up just now and they hadn't seen that, would they know that those, those ships had been there? No, they wouldn't. So he said, I want you to know that when you actually confess your sin to me, that is taken care of as completely as these ships have been sunk. So I get really tired of you waiting here talking to me about what's going to rise up when it's been taken care of. But then what was even more cool, he went to the bottom of the ocean with me. We went in this virtual reality before virtual reality was trendy. And he said, what's happened to what was sunk? What, was, what has happened to what was dangerous and, 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 and a negative on the surface? And we saw these wrecks had been transformed into reef, uh, reefs that were life-bearing and there were fish and there were divers and there were all kinds of people floating around there and there was a whole new thing happening with what had been so destructive. And he just said, I want you to know that everything that you give me and everything that my blood touches gets transformed. I redeem it. And everything in your life that you've ever given to me and has been touched by me will actually become a treasure, not a wreck. Because I redeem and make things life-bearing that were deadly. And I want you to live out of the life that I give you, not out of the wrecks you give me. And Satan, one of the ways he will kill you every time is say, that's just wreckage, that's just wreckage, that's just wreckage. And Jesus says, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. You will actually spend your life being poured out to people who are struggling with the things you struggled with. The difference is you say, I know how it is to struggle, but God. Now the reality is, and why I'm showing you this also, is this is taken from a pond, a pool, a tidal pool in Africa, and I could take you to this place too, in 
took Cheryl to Arniston in South Africa in about 1983. I don't know why I pulled it out, but it's been an illustration ever since. This was a piece of wreckage. And uh, there were a lot of, a lot of uh, bo- uh, sailing boats were, were wrecked off this shore in Africa. So I want to talk about um, reconstruction. Imagine this whole world is underwater. That the world we live in is underwater. Now when a wreck, when something goes into this water, when this thing becomes encrusted and was thickly encrusted, almost unrecognizable, it did nothing. It just lay on the bottom of the shore, the the sea, and, and the damage was done. When God surveys you and me, he sees you and me like this. We do not resemble very much what he created. And we live among a people who share the same fate. So in a sense, you're sitting next to a shipwreck. I mean, if you want to, you can say you look like a wreck, but I wouldn't advise that. But in our limited capacity, in our world, as God created us to be, some of you are looking insulted. You can be the most beautiful piece of wreckage, but you're still a piece of wreckage. I'm talking about in God's creation. And Jesus came into the subterranean world of this kingdom and he didn't have an aqualung and he could hold his breath longer than anyone. And he said, this is not how you were created to be and this is not how you were created to live. You are not a wreckage. Let's have the other one. The, the others. This thing I thought was actually a mast, you know, a mast stay for a sailing ship. Now I've just seen this other thing. I think it might be a bowsprit. You know what a bowsprit is? You know the thing that sticks in the front of a sailing boat? And apparently these, these hold the, the thing steady, but it also makes the, the, the mast bigger and more steady. There it is. Do you see? That might be what this is. And so Jesus comes in and says, you know what you were created for? You weren't created to be here. Let me interrupt myself. I bring this person up and say, um, who are you? I'm a rusty old ring. Jesus loves me. And that's it. I'm holy. And I've been round for a long time. You get that? <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. And, and we might say, and, and, and Brother Ring, we welcome you here. But, and we're all like this. If you put a mirror in front of this and it says, who are you? This is all they can say because they have no other reference point. Jesus comes into the world and he says, you were created to sail across the sea. You were created to be a bowsprit. You would be created to hold and support a mast and a sailing ship and go from country to country. You were created for a destiny that was wild above the circumstances that you now lie in. 
You were created for an identity. Your identity is what you see in the mirror is a rusty replica of what you were intended to be. And brothers and sisters, every single one of us is a rusty replica of what we were intended to be by God. In the world in which we live, we find positions for these things and these things try and find validity. They dip themselves in gold. They become powerful. But it's only on earth. They dress themselves up, but inside they're still rusty, dead men's bones. The kingdom of God happens when this is taken into the hands of the Creator and He says, I will redeem and restore. And this thing doesn't say, I'm a rusty piece of wreckage at the bottom of the ocean. It says, I'm a bowsprit that's being renovated, redeemed and renewed. And I'm on my way back to the surface. The surface is actually through death. That's heaven, above the waves. But before I get above the waves, I'm on my way because Jesus has taken hold of me. And what he has transfused into me is a hope and an identity that is not limited to the wreckage and the rust and the saltiness of the water. It actually comes from the living God. And it begins to go around to other pieces of wreckage and say, it's not over yet. This is not your identity. This is what has happened. Let's rise up and become something new again. That's what Paul talks about when in Ephesians he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you'll be established in love, rooted in love, and that you will have power to get the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and, and all that stuff. That is the foundation of your hope. That is the foundation of your life. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. What are you living up to? What is your vision? Let's stand. Let's ask him to give us greater vision. Do you understand what I'm declaring? That you are not limited or you are not confined, you are not restricted, you are not bound by everything that's happened up until Sunday morning today in the past. And one of the things that we're battling with is we can counsel the person who lives out of the past, but they will never get into their future. You just become a sort of semi-healed rusty ring. But your identity changes completely when you say, I'm a bowsprit support. Father, I pray for each one of us here to have a sense of our identity in you. And I break off each one here the lies that we are what we see in the mirror. Some of us will like that. We are not what we see in the mirror. We are much more than that. And I pray that you give to us eyes to see who we are because of you, God. Who you, what you had in mind when you made us and fashioned us. You can't get to this place. You can't get to this place by thinking in your head alone. All our thinking can bring us to is a place of revelation but it can't take us anywhere beyond that. What takes us beyond that is the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God. Anything that you want to let go of, 
about yourself or your circumstances, you can give to Jesus right now. Anything that you talk about yourself that kills you. I am just an addict. I'll never change. I am this. I am that. Anything that you speak over yourself or you let other people speak over, you can give to Jesus right now and break it. It's a lie. And you can give to Jesus even the things that you've actually sought comfort from. Well, I can't do that because Jesus understands that I'm a little nervous and I'm a little... Any of that nonsense, you can also talk to him about that. Ask him to forgive you where you've fallen in love with your diagnosis because it makes you feel comfortable or safe or gives you an out. He's not angry with you. He's just saying to you, oh, you've been pickpocketed. You've been robbed of your inheritance and identity. Let's get it back. But in a sense, he says, I can only fill your pockets when you empty them. So give him the junk that you're carrying around in you. Because he's really curious to know why you're still lugging it around. You can't be light on your feet with stones in your pocket. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to just take away the heavy stuff that is not ours to bear. Take away the burdens, take away the lies, take away the identities that have got messed up. Take away the things that we're trying to desperately use to make us happy and we're not happy. Because we never get enough and it never lasts for long. We thank you that you're not searching our hearts now like an x-ray to condemn us. You actually just want to reveal. We bless you. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer wreckage. We're precious and priceless pieces. We're your children. We have access to the CEO at the top of a skyscraper with a wonderful view and we can call him dad. And if we feel like we're walking the streets barefoot today and we haven't got any connection with him and we go, that sounds like a dream, but I don't feel like the son or daughter of a king right now. I feel like a pauper. And he just says, well, turn around because I'm right with you. Turn around. Turn around and let me embrace you. Because even the paupers have pride. And Father, I pray that the love of Jesus will woo us into a deeper sense of his love like Paul spoke of. That you will know the love of the Father, the full extent of his love. It's broad and it's wide and it's deep and it's high. and it's, it, it surrounds everything that we try and put in its way. It's bigger than anything we can give. And Father, I pray that a curiosity and a hunger will rise in us to just be able to say, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to get through to me today that brings life? He's certainly releasing peace. Peace in the name of Jesus. You have peace. You won't be so tired. Some of us are asking him to give us good night's sleep and he said, I'll give you a good peace and then you will sleep. Cast all your cares upon me. See, denial is when you give, you pretend things aren't happening. Submission is when you yield stuff to Jesus. You entrust the difficult things to him. You don't avoid them. So, Father, I pray that you release peace and joy and life and hope into my brothers and sisters. What do you want? Ask him for it now.